0: You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights? By the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody. And before we get started on today's episode, I need to take care of a couple of things. And y'all stay tuned at the end of the episode for some patron shout outs and announcements about the podcast awards and different things uh, and two more podcast promos we're doing with some friends for Real Life Real Crime. The first thing I want to talk to you about is a survey. I have to announce the survey. Lipson is the company that we use that hosts our podcast and they want us to do a survey so if you do it it'd be great if you don't That's okay too, but the link to the survey will be posted in our show notes. So it's http colon forward slash survey dot Lipson, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com forward slash real life, real crime. And again, that'll be listed in our show notes for today. Y'all, if you want to fill out that survey for us, it would help us. Second I want to talk to you about a really cool podcast, true crime podcast, but totally opposite of what we do. And it's Wine and Crime, and it's hosted by Amanda, Kenyon, and Lucy, three ladies with the Minnesota accents. And y'all, let me introduce you to them now.
1: Hey, true crime fans. Have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime.
0: Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or, let's be real,
1: three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at WineAndCrimePodcast.com. Podcast.com. Cheers! Cheers.
0: And there you have it, wine and crime. And these ladies are selling out concert halls all across America. People are eating it up. They're funny. It's entertaining. Check them out. Like, subscribe, and go to the social media and let them know that Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, sent you. And let's get started with today's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, and today we're going to be continuing the series, at least two parts. We'll just have to see how long it goes, but it is on state ground, and I have with me my brother from another mother, Jim the Hitman Raffman. Thank gentleman. you for having me back. Ah, <laughs> Thank you for doing it. I know that the listeners loved and ate up our story last week, but we kind of left with a cliffhanger. And just to recap real quick, we're working a homicide, and Jim caught on Carol and Bailey, who was strangled to death. And at this point in the case, we just really found out who she was. And Jim has located some immediate family members in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and we're going to make the
1: death notification. So go ahead, Jim, tell us what happened. Yeah, so we went ahead and contacted Woody, let him know that the mother of Carol Ann Bailey resided there in Baton Rouge, gave him that address. So Woody drove over there and met me there. And when we got there, you're talking about an old lady in a little apartment it was real small, like a one bedroom, and kind you of know, in the
0: it, right on the borderline of the hood off of boulevard. The province banner is straight hood now, but at the time, it was transitioning kind of a poor area. And we got there; it was an older apartment complex,
1: and she was on the first floor. And we knocked on the door and you tell them what happened, Jim. So we went ahead and knocked on the door, and she invited us in. Um, she's a real sweet lady real sweet lady and you know that you're about to deliver them the worst news of their lives and so you have to handle that with a whole bunch of care and concern and and heartfelt and uh you know of course when we show up there she's wanting to know right away what's going on um but you know we went ahead and yeah i mean you have two detectives knocking on your door and they have the
0: badge on their belt and the gun on their side of course we always work coat and ties we didn't have uniforms we were plain clothes but i mean you can imagine right that when she opens the door and say hey i'm detective overton this is detective raftman we'd like to talk to you for a minute and i guess in her mind she knew sugar was about to turn to shit go ahead it's
1: mm-hmm. a good way to put it so you know i had her sit down on this recliner that's what uh she usually sat in she had her little throw over that and, yeah. you know, just he tells her chair. So. You get pictures of just a little old lady's
0: one-bedroom apartment. I think she probably spent her days watching television, and
1: she was pretty old, right? Probably she was pretty up, old, like, probably in her late 70s, yeah, early I mean, 80s. I was
0: going to say about in her late 70s, yeah.
1: So, and, there. you know, we sat her down, and what I ended up doing at that point was I, I took a knee in front of her, and I grabbed oh. her hand. And I delivered the message to her and let her know, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to inform you of this information, but your daughter, Carol Ann, was found deceased and they've been on the news recently. And, you know, she immediately started crying and obviously she's very emotional, upset. So at that point, you know, we just continue to. Try to provide some sort of comfort. I yeah, mean, I, you just do what you can do on it, right? I mean, the, each one
0: of them is different, and Jim is very good at it, and he's holding her hand and then hugging on her, and she's, oh, no, my baby, my baby, and, you know, it's tough, right? I'm a dad. Jim's a dad, and shit, I just couldn't imagine. And, you know, at the same time, I'm hoping, damn, i this lady doesn't stroke out on us or something, right? Right. But she was really upset, rightfully so. But Jim is very good at it. And what do you do? I mean, what do you do and what do you say? Of course, after a few minutes of crying, then
1: inevitably the questions come what happened? Which is exactly what ended up happening. She asked what had happened, and we started to explain what we could. And her daughter, she had another daughter that showed up at the house. Right. That's a, yeah, but when he first, I think right before you told, him, he said, Is there anybody, Is there anybody you, you want to con- yeah. contact to have there as a support channel? Just we can only provide so much comfort. And although we have no problem doing the best that we can, you know, we will bring a chaplain or, or somebody right. if we can as well, typically. Just provide something, but if they have somebody they know, somebody that you know, another family member, it's a little bit easier, yeah. so to speak. It's never easy, but a little bit easier at least to hand, hear that news, right? So that's actually what she had done. She had called her daughter when we first got there, and then when her daughter showed up, her daughter had just walked in and went ahead and broke the news to her, and there was some crying that was going on, and they wanted to know what happened. And when we started to explain what had happened, the would be Carol Ann Bailey's sister immediately started yelling out that it's her boyfriend. Yeah. Her boyfriend did this. And so even though I'm on a knee trying to hold her hand and provide comfort, I'm using my other hand to start writing down notes on everything that the sister's saying because she's just spitting out information left and right. Right. Where the mom was
0: really consumed with the grief part, the sister flashed out with the anger and she was pissed and she went, I know that motherfucker killed her. I know he killed her.
1: Okay. Yeah. And it just shows you the difference of emotions that some people have. Some are angry and immediately lash out. Others will cry for a little while and grieve. But when the sister was going through that, it was, it was helping Woody and I out tremendously. Then she gave us the name of Russell gross and Russell gross. Was dating Carol Ann for, well, I think they were dating for a few months. Was it a few months? Yeah. Longer yeah. than that. It was, they were together for a little while and he resided in Denham Springs. And what's crazy about this is that Russell Gross actually came from a really good family. His father was a retired bus driver for the city of Denham Springs. The mother was also a retired city worker as well. You know, they provided the best they could for their family. They had a, a house there in Denham Springs that had a little bit of land. Right. And what they did for Russell, because Russell has had some trouble growing up. I do remember when we looked into him, he was already a registered sex offender for a crime that happened back in 1990. Right. So he had had some trouble. The parents had put a trailer on the back of their property for him to be able to stay in, which we're going to get to that. right. The parents, uh, Russell's an, black man african-american
0: and the i think you called it in when once we got his name it, we called it in and had him run it and that's when it came back and he was a sex offender and one of the other detectives in the office detective calvin bowden who's still there uh, mm-hmm. and he's a great guy super smart and he's actually a polygraph examiner now also but y'all have heard me talk about calvin before
1: calvin knew the family right calvin knew the family very well what was good about that and what makes good detectives or it's really it's about a team a lot of times it's that team effort and you have to rely on the strengths that other people have right and in this particular case calvin had a relationship already with the family had a good rapport with them so it made it a little bit easier for being able to get access to who we needed to speak with and get some information because of that relationship that Calvin had with the family. Right.
0: And so the sister gave us the information
1: on Russell and
0: we wrapped up the notification with the mom and the sister and and Jim got all the information we could on Russell.
1: Actually, one thing I want to mention too, in the middle of her rambling off that Russell did this, I know he did it, you know, with her curse words and whatnot she was throwing out there at the time. We asked her specifically, do you know what kind of vehicle that's right he drives? And she said he has a little red pickup truck. Boom. And right there, Woody and I looked at each other, and we knew game on. Yeah. Hey, I knew we weren't going to Beaumont. <laughs> <laughs> so we finished up the death notification, and now it's time to really get into it. Yeah. So we drove back to Livingston Parish. Contacted Calvin, Stan Carpenter, and we got our little team of detectives together. And the plan that Woody and I came up with was actually, uh I thought it was phenomenal the way that we were able to pull this off. Yeah. So Woody and I actually split up into two different ways. So I actually went to the residence first. Of course, Calvin was there with us. Right. You want to? Yeah, Calvin,
0: and you went and. I think Calvin actually rode on the bus for years or whatever with the, dad, with the dad. And that's how he knew him. And so, I mean, he knew him since he was a, a little boy, right? And Calvin goes over and makes an introduction and he did. got some base information that, that Russell had a roommate.
1: Yeah. So Calvin went over there and was talking with the father. It was determined that Russell was staying in that trailer behind the house and had a roommate. Also, Calvin was able to determine that Russell was not currently there at the moment that Calvin was talking with the father. He was going to be on his way back from work That's right. and would be home shortly. So Calvin actually left the property to wait for Russell to pull in. And then at that particular time, I showed up at the scene, made contact with Russell. A group of us did actually, and asked him to come back to the detective's office You know, so we can question him on um, what was going on, which he agreed to. And
0: his parents had confirmed also, not only did he have a roommate, but Carol Ann Bailey was living with him at that residence. So we got that confirmed. Uh, It wasn't just the sister's word. I think the parents said they hadn't seen her since like Friday or something like that. I don't remember. It had been a couple of days. It had
1: been a few days. They hadn't seen her. So the plan was to have Russell come back with me. And another detective, I don't know if it was Chuck Watts or who was with me at Probably that Chuck. time. You know
0: Chuck's all about a homicide. He had to be a... a so, yeah, <laughs> he was.
1: Homicide <laughs> Chuck. He's like, homicide Chuck. He loved to work a homicide, but... but uh, so, I, the, the plan was to get Russell back to the detective's office. What was also critically important in this was the roommate. So, we waited till we got a few minutes down the road. I then contacted Woody and just let him know about where we were. So, they would be able to go onto the property and pick up the roommate right. to bring to the detective's office as well. Right. That so That way, Russell did not know that the roommate was there. Yeah, and like like you said, this was pre-planned,
0: and we didn't want them to have a chance to get any story straight. We didn't know if the roommate was in on it, or even if Russell had did it at this point. But the strategy was to, first of all, not have Russell be comfortable in his own environment inside his house to question him, right, get him onto our turf. And so Jim did that, and I went and made contact with a roommate and introduced myself, and just I asked him, did he know Carol Ann Bailey? He said, yes, she lives here. And I asked him when was the last time he'd seen her, and he told me it had been a couple days. So I asked him to come on in if he didn't mind and talking to us about the case. And remember, at this point, really, we didn't know who did it, and I brought him in to the sheriff's office.
1: So we get up to the detective's office, and we have uh, different interviewing rooms. And so we had Russell in one of the interviewing rooms, and then we brought in the roommate who was at a separate room there. So at no time were they able to talk to each other or even be able to see each other for that matter. They didn't know the other one was there. So we ended up first going in with Russell and asking him the basic questions Was Carol Ann living with you? When was the last time you've seen her? Were you with her? Particularly that evening of May 31st. And everything he got was denial. And it was, I hadn't seen her. Uh, I wasn't with her. I was at work. right? Just every reason in the world that he was not with her. But then we went and talked to the roommate, which had a completely different story. The roommate confirmed that she was actually there that evening and that they had been arguing for several hours. Right. So that immediately conflicted with what Russell Gross was telling us. Yeah. So he straight up lied, which is self-preservation, right? He
0: he doesn't know what we have or don't have. So he's going to deny, deny, deny. And now classic work, lock him into his statement. And then we go to the roommate and he's like, no, no, she was there. And they were fighting, and they were raising hell, and it went on for a long time. And then then what did he say, Jim?
1: Um, at that particular point, he ended up saying that. That the arguments. That the arguments stopped. He didn't hear any more noise. It was he quiet. He didn't hear any more noise. It just got very quiet, and that he actually thought they went to sleep. So he tried to go to sleep it, himself. And we're talking about a single-wide trailer, y'all, uh, with a couple of bedrooms in it. It's not that large of a residence. It's basically a bedroom on the left side, a bedroom on the right side of the trailer with a common living space that you consider the living room. Right. When, so you could you see the it. opposite side by just looking out your door. Right. And he heard them arguing for for hours, and then it just got silent and stayed like that for a couple of hours. Right. So And then… He saw. So then he saw early morning hours, like several hours after the fighting had stopped. So he had said that the argument and whatnot stopped about 11 o'clock, right. somewhere in through there. And he said it was approximately one forty-five, two o'clock in the morning, somewhere there. He wasn't one hundred percent sure on the time, but it was definitely by one thirty, one forty-five, somewhere through there. He saw Russell Gross carry. Carol Ann, in his arms, out of the trailer and put her inside the truck, in the cabin of the truck. And he was like, what the fuck?
0: (laughs) Yeah. He he didn't know. He didn't come out straight out and say that she was dead at that point, but he knew shit wasn't
1: right. So Russell Ghost then drove off in his truck to return a short time later. So the the drive distance. Returns. By himself. By himself. And the drive distance from that residence to Buddy Ellis Road where the body was found is probably about 10 minutes. Max. 10 minutes max. So it's not really that far out of the way. So he returned a short time later and had gone to his room. The roommate then told us that they get up for their job. They both work together. And he went over there to Russell who uh, normally is up and ready for work at this point. And Russell was just laying there in his bed. And the roommate asked him, like, come on, we got to go to work. And the one thing Russell kept saying is, is, man, she's gone. Yep, she's gone. She's gone. And he goes, what do you mean she's gone? Man, she's gone. Wouldn't give the specifics as to how she was gone, just that she was gone. Yeah, I mean, and the roommate
0: knew Carolyn did not leave the residence under her own power. He saw Russell carry her out. And let me tell you this, on both of these guys, these aren't drug dealers or anything like that. Russell had had that trouble some years before, but he wasn't a frequent flyer or anything like that. And he had a job and he worked. I mean, like I said, he came from a good family. I think he was a lot older now and he worked pretty hard.
1: He did. And... You know, he was, I mean, his earlier troubles with the sex offender happened, I believe, back in 1990, which the time that this happened, he was probably in his early 40s. I think he was 42 or 43 years old, somewhere in through there. Carol Ann was about 47 or 48 years old, if I remember correctly. So when he kept making his comment to the roommate about she's gone, when he did, the only thing he got a little bit more specific on was he said, man, she left. She's gone, I and mean, it was the only thing, and he stuck to that, and even when you know a day would go by, two days would go by, the roommate had asked him, "Where's Carolina? I haven't seen her." And the only thing he would respond back with is, "She's, she's gone. gone." So at that point, we knew between Russell giving us a false statement already and that information from the roommate, it was time to really go back in and really have a nice interview with Russell Gross to get the truth right and so yeah we were locking them in a two audio recorded
0: statements right and so as you the case developed and we found out what the roommate had seen etc then Russell's sitting over there on ice if you will and so we take the recorded statement from the roommate and then go back at Russell
1: so we get back in there with Russell and we sit down and been advised already of his constitutional rights. Right. And we pretty much tell him that your story is full of shit. That's it. And we know it's full of shit. And start, give him a little bit of information to see what he starts giving back to us. And one of the things we told him was that where her body was found was an old state training center. On state grounds. On state grounds. Not really there. (laughs) And... You know, it wasn't not have been a good spot to put a body down next to the training facility like that. And he doesn't know. Is there video cameras? Right. What is it that we know that he doesn't know? Right. And we let him know. We know a lot more than what you think. And we know the answers to the questions we're asking you. Right. So you need to start telling us what had happened. And basically... Your
0: story is full of holes, doesn't add up. We have evidence way beyond a reasonable doubt that you're involved and you know what happened. And either you are a fucking cold-blooded murderer or shit got out of hand. And you can explain yourself, but if you continue to lie... Then we're going to dig your ass and you're going to prison for the rest
1: of your life. And so we had a, a good cop, bad cop yeah. situation going on there, if you will. But one of the things we were able to do was that statement we collected from the one lady that was working that ended up catching that additional shift into the night. And we knew the truck. And so we kind of we had this conversation with Russell. He's either gonna be viewed in two ways. He's either gonna be viewed as a cold blooded killer, as Woody just stated. Or did it just get out of hand and it wasn't meant to end that way and it did. Right. And then
0: but and he he denies and still denies whatever, but this is over a period of hours, y'all. It's browbeating beating at its best. And when every time he go to deny, I get a little more Mm, bad cop with me if you will like you know what? you're full of shit man and every time he go to deny I'd cut him off just like, hey motherfucker if, if you're gonna lie to me and insult my intelligence then
1: it's best you just don't say anything at all because i might just have to get upset and he started to see that a little bit and um you know i, I started letting him know in a way it was you know russell we know you didn't just dump her body and take off and run Yeah, a, i know yeah. you stayed there for a little bit we know you did i have a witness saw you, know. and well we didn't let him know it was the witness right away we gave right. him just enough right. to to know that we knew that's a little right, bit right. so to trigger his memory right. we know that you didn't just dump her body and take off we know that you stayed there for a little bit
0: but what jim was doing is setting it up giving him the human out if you will right Going at him from the bad cop angle, I'm tired of, of him and lying, et cetera. And Jim is like, you know what? You could have just threw her out in the ditch like a piece of trash, but you didn't do that. You stayed with her for a minute, and not only that, you laid her in the grass mm-hmm. gently. And he said, Jim, it was it was beautiful, and he was like, that just tells me that you love her, man. It tells me that you love her at this point. We're doing whatever we have to do to get a confession. And we already had great shit through the roommate statement. We got him lying about it. I mean, roommate sees him carrying her out, et cetera. But really, now it's about closing the deal. We want to, even if he fucking lies about how he did it or tries to minimize his involvement, Jim just wants him to change his statement back and put himself there.
1: Absolutely. So I was talking to him about well, you, you cared. We know that you love her. You laid her down there. You stayed. You didn't just jump into in your vehicle and, and just take off. You stayed there for a little bit. And I was he like was thinking about something. And I was
0: like, I don't know, Jim. I think that's fucking bullshit. Uh, otherwise, he would just tell us the truth, right? I mean, if he, if he truly cared, I think you're full of shit, Jim. If he truly cared, then he would just tell us the truth that it was an accident or something. They arguing got out of hand or whatever. But I think this motherfucker is just a killer. Yeah. And, and, and like no no i
1: no uh, he took too much care he loved her and, and at this point i you know i ended up getting a little bit closer to him and i i remember sitting partially on the desk and i put my hand on his shoulder yeah. and i told him and i reiterated again you could have just dumped her and took off you, like you didn't have a care in the world but that's not what you did there's a story here that's right. And you need to tell your story because this might be the only opportunity you have to tell your story. So you're not viewed as the guy that is just a ruthless killer who didn't care and just threw out this body like it's a piece of meat and meant nothing. Right. You know, this is your chance. And, Russell. and, and then you were like, you loved her And you, Russell, you loved her. And then
0: he ended up saying that he did love her. He when you asked that, you asked him that several times. He starts nodding in the affirmative and I'm mm-hmm. like, Yeah, I've got this motherfucker now. It, it's
1: but go ahead. Yeah, so he uh starts changing his story a little bit and you know he ended up telling us that that he was with her that evening and they did have an argument and the reason for the argument is that she went and spent his money. He got paid recently That's right. from work. And she took the cash that he had received from work and went out and bought some drugs with it. I believe she was buying some crack cocaine or some meth yeah, or something it, along it, those I, lines. I think it was crackling,
0: but and wasn't the fact just that she bought the crack, but she split
1: for a, a she period did. of time. And when she came back, she was broke. She spent all his money on drugs and went on a couple day just smoking Bins. crack and binging and just when she finally didn't have any more money left and there was no more drugs to purchase she showed back up at the trailer home and Russell was pissed you got Russell he's a hard working dude he's, he's not making much money y'all
0: but he's getting up and going to bust his ass every day and Carol Ann wasn't and he gets paid And she comes in and she steals his shit, man, and then splits. Now, I mean, it'd be one thing if she at least would have invited him to come along for the party, right? But she splits and goes with – who? it doesn't make it a case for murder. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that, I mean, she takes his money, and he's living paycheck to paycheck, certainly. And when she comes back after like two days, doesn't have a nickel to her name. He's got no money to buy groceries, and he's got to work all week again. He was pissed.
1: He was definitely pissed. So he ends up stating that when she came back to the house, they immediately started arguing about it, why she took his money, what she spent it on, where she'd been the last few days. And it just continued. The argument continued to ensue for, as the roommate had stated and Russell stated, it went on for about a good hour to two hours of, of fighting back and forth. And then he said that she actually at one time grabbed a pocket knife and was threatening him with the pocket knife. And I guess put the knife down at one point, and they continued to argue. And then she came at him, and he ended up grabbing her with his hand around her throat. And he said that he squeezed so hard that he actually heard a crack.
0: Yeah, I'll never forget that.
1: And he's, he's tearing up at this time. Actually, when
0: he's saying this to Jim, I'm the bad guy. I'm just myself away from Jim's
1: clothes in on him, getting the juice. I'm there having a moment. Right. And so he says that he squeezed her so hard that he heard the crack and he said it was the look in her eyes. He knew that something was wrong, but he couldn't stop squeezing because he was so angry still with her spending the money and this argument that had now gone on for quite some time that he, even though he knew he had done some damage to her throat in some sort of way, he still could not stop squeezing. That's crazy. And he kept squeezing until her body started to go limp. I was like, Holy shit. And then what you know, he like did go is gym, he said, that, go <laughs> what he said he did at that point was she brought her down towards the ground where she got on her knees, And then let go where she laid flat on the ground, face down. And, uh, you know, he said at that point he didn't really know what to do. He thought she was going to wake up. Yeah, his ass hurts.
0: And he he didn't know. He he said he
1: sat in the bed for a little bit thinking about what all had just happened. I believe that. I believe that, first of all, you
0: you squeeze somebody's neck to the point where you hear the bone break. then. And when he said, I know this is the truth, he said he looked into her eyes and he knew something was wrong. That's because whenever you choke somebody to death, you burst the blood vessels in their eyes and they turn red. It's particular hemorrhaging. And so he's looking in her eyes. Let me tell you something. Strangulation is a very intimate form of killing. You don't just strangle somebody in one second, right? I mean, you got to apply that force and listen to that person. and, and, you know, look them in the eyes while you're breaking their neck and literally squeezing the life out of them. And like he said, he just kept squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And I was like, holy
1: shit. And so once he finished describing what he had done and the position he had her in, I needed to take that opportunity to get him to describe Exactly how it was that she was laying when he put her down. And the reason for that is because I wanted to prove the lividity. That showed that, that her body was in that position, which did not match the position on Buddy Ellis Road. The lividity Correct. was on top. Correct. And so he actually described to us the position that he had her in, which would match up for the reason why she had lividity. And specifically asked him. Did you move her at any time once you put her in that position? He said, no. How long was she like that? And he said she was like that for a couple of hours. hours. Yeah. He was hoping she was going to wake up. Yeah. Then asked him, if you knew something was wrong, why didn't you get her any type of medical attention? Yeah. That's where and he knew he was full of shit because he knew he killed her already. He already knew he killed her, and he didn't have an answer. He just kind of looked at us with that. He shrugged his shoulders and wouldn't. Right would it respond as to why he didn't get medical attention for her. That's because he knew he broke her neck. But had left her like that for a couple of hours. Now, I, I believe
0: wholeheartedly the dude had remorse, but also wholeheartedly believe he knew he killed her. And then he's like, holy fuck.
1: And, you know, she be dead. And what am I going to do now? So, so I had asked him, Russ, what did you do next? I mean, you already knew that you heard the crack. You looked in her eyes. You, you know, you remember her body going limp and you couldn't stop squeezing because you were so mad. And then you, after you laid her down, you, you sat in the room for a couple of hours. What, what were you trying to do? And he said he was trying to figure out what to do next. Yeah. And he wanted to wait for his roommate to go to sleep. Yeah. So he picked her up and put her in the truck. And then he drove off, and he said he got off the interstate and chose the Buddy Ellis uh, Road because it was dark over there in that particular spot. So he kind of gave us two different situations. One, he picked it because it was a dark, isolated area. But he said that when he stopped the truck and got her out, walked down into the ditch, and laid her down, he said he put her in a position. And wanted her laying down like that because if somebody were to spot her, they could get her help if they could, if somebody could provide some sort of help. And that's me and we know that's a
0: load of shit, complete load of shit that maybe he didn't want her to lay out there for days on the end and would want somebody to spot her. But, you know, he knew she was dead and still he's trying to minimize saying, oh, well. Maybe she was alive and uh, left her out there. But look, he knew Buddy Ellis Road. He's from born and raised right there in the area. And uh, he knew it was a dead-end road. And and he knew it was a good place to dump the body. But although he just, uh, I'll give it to him. He didn't just dump her. I mean, we worked so many dump bodies. He actually laid her out almost like in funeral style and that's one of the things that struck me when i saw her on the ground that day was she was laid out with care her legs were straight you know arms up you had to lay her on the ground gently to get her in that position or set her down and then pose her in that position
1: that's how straight she was yeah i mean he didn't just drop her uh, he definitely had to have Squatted down at some point and laid, he laid her down, her down gently, gently on state ground. And he said, too, that he stood over her for a little bit, which matches with that statement we had where the lady had observed the red truck and somebody standing there in the ditch for a minute before they left. He said that he stood over her for a minute, telling her that he loved her and that he didn't mean for this to happen, Yeah, hey, I, I but that he loved that, her. I believe that's probably true. And after he said his goodbye message to her, he then got in his truck, and drove to the end of the road, which is a question I asked him as well. What is When you got in your truck, where, which direction did you go or what did you do? And he said he drove down because he thought Buddy Ellis Road would actually continue. He didn't know that it actually would dead end right there. Right. So he drove to the end, realized it was a dead end turned around no pun intended and then drove out of buddy ellis road over there to <laughs> to uh walker south road where he continued his way back to Denham springs yeah so that's it we got
0: him and jim absolutely got the juice if you will that's what we call it and we went back and made sure the roommate we had him locked in and everything and we took a really good recorded statement and made Russell repeat everything again. And then we actually took him back to the residence with us.
1: So- we we did. So for Woody and I, when you're looking at this case overall, he's trying to say he didn't mean for this to happen. It was an accident. But when you look at the whole thing, I mean, he knew that he took her life, but never once provided any kind of medical help for her. Right, And then went, and tried to dispose of her body instead of getting her medical help as well. So now he thought about that for a few hours of what to do before he drove over there and laid her out and then never called for any help for her, never reported her missing, anything at all. Even after he knew there was a body
0: found and all that he didn't even say that's murder uh, yeah exactly he didn't say oh you know, claim it or, or say it was an accident or whatever i mean he, he strangled the shit out of her
1: he did and so it wasn't one of those situations where you can sit there and claim self-defense or hopefully get a manslaughter or something like that right. that's
0: murder well and that's straight up murder but one of the good things we
1: did on taking him back to the
0: residence we got him to sign a voluntary consent for us to go in and bring us in to the bedroom and guess what wasn't in the bedroom where they were arguing the whole time there was no pocket knife no pocket knife to be found no knife to be found so we had him on that and he was
1: slowly sucking away his self-defense and you know there were still some more investigative things for woody and i to do you know, when we we're inside the residence there, it was collecting the evidence out of the residence where right. he laid her down. Right. Where there's some blood on the that's carpet. Exactly right. You know, his truck, um, that's all part of the crime scene as well. Because, you, you know, when we had his vehicle impounded right. um, and the crime scene went through it, they did find some of her hair in there, which wouldn't be unusual, but they also found some blood droppings in there as well. And like Owen, little
0: Caitlin Adell case when mark lewis moved her body they had the blood and some hairs but they were on the lower end like he set her down in the seat i mean she wasn't sitting straight up and so the vehicle was processed and then that blood and hair of course was dna matched to her You know, when you choke somebody to death, that dry blood that Jim first saw when he got on the scene, you are going to almost always have some bleeding from the top of the throat where the blood vessels burst out like that. And that's what it was. So that it was on the floor and it was in the vehicle and which just locks up the theory or and his statements that, yeah, I choked the shit out of her and left her on the floor. Which matches the lividity from when she was found and then
1: transported her in the vehicle. We have the witness see the vehicle. And then the one more piece of this puzzle remember, she had that defensive wound. That's right. On her hand where she had that fingernail that was pulled back. So we actually checked on Russell on his body mm-hmm. for any type of scratch defensive wounds. And what did we find, Woody? Scratches. Found some scratches, so we got photos of that. Yeah. uh it was on her right hand. It was found on the left side of his body, right, and he was cooperating with it. y'all. We didn't have to get search
0: warrants or anything for it. He did it all freely and volunteer after being advised of his Miranda rights, and he could stop at any time, but he's at this point, I think he was trying to still hold on that he would have some hope of a self defense theory, but what he didn't realize was everything. We were gathering
1: was making that null and void. So after we finished our investigation at the house and had him in handcuffs, we went to go book him into jail on a murder charge. Uh, the news media was there. Yeah. At that point, as we walked him into the jail, the good old fashioned perp walk. The perp walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and, Mr. Gross, did you kill her? And then the the reporters
0: lined up right, and you you get to march him through, and
1: yeah. March him through, and you know he makes a statement that uh he didn't mean to well, kill her. Of course, he might have been
0: told ahead of time that the media is going to be there, and yeah, they're going to ask you, "Did you do it?" And you need to tell them what you told us: it was an accident, and that you love her, et cetera, right? And of course, he did it exactly what he did: hook, line, and sinker. And you yeah, have heard me use that tactic before, and just go so far. So when, later on, actually, when defense attorneys get involved and they try to suppress the confession and all that stuff, well, you know what? He told the
1: media, suck on it. <laughs> so he was booked into jail for murder, and eventually, as the case went to trial, he was convicted Yep, and is serving life in prison. Yep, for the murder of... Carol, Carol
0: and Bailey. Bailey and the disposal of her body on state ground. So it was a really good case. Jim did a hell of a job. And sad, always sad domestic violence, and I don't care if she spent this whole year's worth of money. It's not worth getting choked to death. I I know I'd rather catch a bullet or a knife or whatever than have somebody choke me to death. And it's just a bad way to go. And I don't feel bad for her and I that sweet mom that she has, she's probably not even living anymore, and the sisters. I mean, these victims, no matter what lifestyle they lead, they all have family members. They all have somebody that loves them, and it's always sad, no matter who it is. And even if you're a shitty person, then nobody deserves to be choked out like that. Definitely not. So, it was a good case, dude, and I appreciate you coming on and
1: sharing it with us. and my pleasure thank you very much for having me yeah
0: well it'll be the first of many y'all because jim and i have lots of really really good cases and this is like i said my first ever live in person interview i did one before Karen nortolano over the phone but jim and i are going to be doing more cases and we've got some crazy cases this one I mean, it's a murder, right? It's, you know, it's not a serial killer or anything like that, but it's a brutal murder choking somebody to death like that. But we've got some cases. Yeah, we do. <laughs> that you can't make this shit up. But we'll, <laughs> we'll be bringing to you in the future. And a lot of them of those are going to be more of a sexual nature. Um, some of the ones that jumped in my mind, we won't get into that today. <laughs> but my brother from another mother, I appreciate you, y'all. And you're talking or you're listening to a true American hero and just an all around. Straight up great guy, Jim, the hit man, rap man. I love mm-hmm. you, brother. Thank love you, too, man. man. Thank, Thank you. you. And everybody, I appreciate y'all for listening and liking and sharing. And as always, I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Okay, y'all. I want to give some shout-outs to our patron members. And, y'all, I really appreciate each and every one of you. I can't read all of you today, but I'm going to try to read maybe half. And we'll do the other half of the list next week. And this is your monthly shout-out on and patron, and it's just one of the ways that I can show how much I appreciate you. But let's see. I want to start with our newest patron members, and that's Miss Sue Switzer. Miss Sue, I really do appreciate you. I thank you for being a patron member. You're awesome. And certainly it helps. So thank you. And then Randy. Randy, I don't have your last name, but I do appreciate you joining. I do appreciate you joining and supporting us through Patreon. You're awesome. And Miss Melanie Millspa. I hope I'm saying that right, Melanie. It's M-I-L-L-S-P-A-U-G-H. Ms. Melanie, I really do appreciate you. Thank you so much. You help us out and I appreciate it. It's awesome. And Miss Lauren Simmons. Miss Lauren Simmons, thank you so much. You are amazing. Thank you. And Audrey Rachel Smith, thank you so much for joining and taking the time to support us. So y'all, I want to tell you this part get more into the list of patron patron members next friday we're going to drop a hotline episode and it's going to be with myself and jim the hitman wrath so after you heard this episode on Friday. y'all go use your hotline number and call in and say or ask anything that you want from me or Jim or both of us and we're going to answer that and that will be the episode next Friday and it's going to be fun. We always get great questions and comments et cetera and even a few jokes here and there. but that's a, one of your patron benefits and all patron members as a perk. so it's y'all show next Friday and I appreciate you. We continue on with the list. And we go with Miss Christine Hernandez, Miss Christina. You know, I love you, Miss Christina. Is invaluable, y'all, dream team, and everything else. Much, much love, much love. And she's our promo woman. Thank you, Christina. Appreciate you supporting us in all the ways that you do it. And Mr. Robert Malin. Robert is a cool guy joining us with Patron and we've been conversing back and forth and, and real cool guy. And Robert, we appreciate you supporting us the Patreon. You're awesome. Jamie Lee. Jamie, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Your support really helps us. Tanya Hano, my longtime dear friend and former dispatcher. She's just awesome. Tanya, you know I love you. Thank you. Ryan Horan, the promo man. You know I love you, brother. Ryan's going to be doing some stuff for us on YouTube. Y'all y'all check it out. And Becky Andre, Miss Becky, you are amazing. Thank you so much for all that you do and supporting us through Patreon. Karen Travels, another Dream Team member and just the love. Karen Travels, I appreciate you and thank you so much. And Alicia, who I don't have your last name, but you've been doing it for months and you been supporting us and I appreciate it. And I thank you so much for doing it. You're amazing. And I have another one namer, Angie. Angie, you know, who you are, you've been doing this for several months now and I thank you so much. You really help us out. Aaron Ashwood, same thing, been doing it for at least three months. Aaron, thank you for supporting Real Life Real Crown through Patreon. I appreciate you. Miss Lisa Chase, also been doing it several months. Lisa, thank you so much for doing it and I appreciate you. you know, I hope y'all are using some of your Patron benefits. Miss Kathy Morris, you're awesome. Thank you so much for your continued support and I appreciate you. And Ellen Smolinski, Miss Ellen, thank you. You're awesome and I appreciate you. And Stacy Spralding, Stacy, thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're a vital part of what we do. And Emma Flavel, Miss Emma's been doing it for a long time. Miss Emma, we thank you for being one of our original patron members. And Miss Tina Benton, who I worked with for many years and is a retired law enforcement professional, she's one awesome lady. And Miss Tina, I haven't picked up those peppers yet, but thank you for them. And thank you for being a patron member. You are amazing. Rosa Ortega, Miss Rosa, you've been around the whole time, and I appreciate you, and I thank you so much. Rika Ketchum, our beautiful friend from Arizona, who we met at CrimeCon, one cool lady. Rika, we really do appreciate you. Tanita Anthony. Tanita, we love you and appreciate you, and thank you so much for supporting us through the Patreon. Carolyn Pettit, thank you, Caroline. I think I, I'm assuming it's Caroline. So, Caroline Pettit, thank you so much. You've been doing it for a long time and I appreciate you. And maybe the best dog in the world from Dallas, Texas. I know who you are and you're always active in the groups and making funny comments and stuff like that. And I appreciate you and I appreciate you supporting us through Patreon and by being interactive, etc. Firebird, you know you, you know I love you, lady, and you know I appreciate you and all that you do. She's also a dream team member and integral part of what we do at Real Life Real Crime. Brandy Elliott, another long term, awesome patron member and an awesome group member. She participates almost every day. Brandy, we love you. Thank you we have Courtney again. Courtney, I don't have your last name, sweetie, but I love you and I appreciate you. And I thank you for doing it and supporting us. Alex, Alex, I don't have your last name, but I appreciate you. And I thank you so much. You are awesome and amazing. Tiffany Leggett. Tiffany, thank you so much. I think I did you last week, Tiffany, but I'm doing you again. I love you and I appreciate you. And Tiffany Gongre, G-O-N-G-R-E, Tiffany Gangre. I hope I'm saying that right. It might be or Gangre, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you for supporting us. And Miss Valerie, Valerie, thank you for being a patron member. You are amazing. Andrea Stoner, Andrea, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. Shayla Bourgeois, Shayla Bourgeois, the good, strong Cajun name. Thank you so much for supporting us, sweetie. I appreciate it. And Meg Mihaly, I guess that's how you say it, M-I-H-A-L-Y. Meg, thank you so much. I appreciate you. really do. And John Laudermill, y'all heard me talk about him he was my supervisor in uniform patrol, and then we went on. I think we were probably partners in detectives at some point, but I know we worked a lot of great cases together. And he will be helping me co-host the show in the future. John, love you, bro. Thank you for supporting us through Patreon and his beautiful bride, laura Lauderdale. Ditra, thank you first of all for putting up with John, and secondly for supporting us through Patreon. You are truly amazing, and Miss Kalifia. Ms. Califia, thank you. You've been around for the, you're, you're an OG, OG patron member, and I appreciate that. And I mean, it really helps us out. Thank you so much. And Rachel Franzin, my dear friend, if you don't have that baby, I don't know what's going to happen, but you're, you're looking beautiful, and we wish you all the best of health and success for you and your family. Thank you. Stacy Henderson, Stacy, I love you and I appreciate you. You're awesome. Thank you. And Jenny Wyatt from the Golden Triangle, my jokester. She is a definitely an OG and a Dream Team member and posts in the group every day. Jenny, thank you for everything. I love you. Amy Derrick from 1096 Crime Chicks. Y'all go check them out. They're back up and running. And uh, they just did a Jean Vinay Ramsey update and they're working on some other stuff. So, Amy, you know, we love you I appreciate you. Tanya True, Line Graphics. Tanya, thank you. And they're the ones that do all of our merch, y'all, all our shirts, etc. Best stuff ever. Thank you, Tanya. Cassie Wallace from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Dream Team member. Funny in Hell it has a lot, a lot of knowledge when it comes to podcasts, et cetera. And Cassie, you know, I love you. Lauren Simmons. Lauren, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a patron member. Audrey Rachel Smith. Thank you, and I appreciate you. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Ms. Raven Moran, Ms. Raven, I love you, and I appreciate you, and I thank you so much for supporting us through Patreon. And Jessica Kennedy, Jessica Kennedy, thank you. We're glad you joined. I see you posting in the groups and stuff, and you're awesome. Amazing, and thank you. And Casey Elizabeth, thank you, Casey. I appreciate you for doing it and supporting us. You are amazing. And Miss Ashley Falcon. Miss Ashley, I appreciate you and I thank you so much for supporting us and joining us through Patreon. To end the list. Last and not least, Miss Jen Sowicky. I bet you thought I forgot about you again. And Her daughter and Jen is from Arizona and a long-time patron member, and we love you and appreciate y'all. We haven't heard anything out of y'all in Arizona in a little bit, but hope you're doing well, Jen, and you truly are a trip, and still need to get together and talk about that case when you're ready. Hit me up. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to wrap up the patron for today. Y'all want to talk about two more podcasts real quick and one of them is Crimes Unlimited by Rachel Bell. Now let me tell you about Rachel Bell. Okay, so let me tell you about Rachel Bell in Crimes Unlimited. They relatively new podcast. Rachel Bell has like degrees in every type of psychology and she's a true criminal mind specialist, right? And this lady knows Killers, and she knows serial killers, and her mother is instrumental in the field uh, back with court TV and crime TV, etc. And the doctor Nader that they she first interviewed on her uh, episode about the BTK killer interviewed the BTK killer over sixty times in prison. So I don't have a promo yet to play for, but I will play for when it comes out, y'all go check her out Crimes Unlimited Rachel Bell and give it a like and a listen and subscribe and let them know that real life real crime the podcast sent you. And the other podcast I'm want to tell you about today is Blood, Sweat and Fear hosted by Eve Lazarus. Let me introduce you to Eve now. I'm Eve Lazarus and I'm a reporter. And an author based in Vancouver, British Columbia. I host and produce Blood, Sweat and Fear, the story of Inspector Vance. Vance wasn't a police officer, as his title suggests. He was the first forensic scientist to work for a police department in Canada and certainly the first to carry a badge and a gun. Vance was so good that he was known as the Sherlock Holmes of Canada, and his forensic skills were so advanced that in 1934, there were seven attempts on his life by criminals afraid to go up against him in court. Each episode follows a different major crime that Vance helped to solve. You can find Blood, Sweat and Fear on Apple, Podbean, or your favorite podcatcher. And that's Blood, Sweat, and Fear by Eve Lazarus. Y'all go check them out. Give them a listen, subscribe, blow them up on their social media and let them know that Real Life, Real Crime podcast sent you. Okay, a couple of last announcements. I just want to tell all my fans, I love you. It doesn't matter if you're a patron or not, and I appreciate each and every one of you. You're amazing, but ask that you continue to like and share and subscribe if you haven't, and leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't, y'all. I think we have like 270 reviews on iTunes, and we have just on our private crew page on Facebook, we have over 1,600 members. So just if y'all would go over there and give us a review, I don't care if it's five-star or one star, and we just want to see some reviews, and I appreciate it. But thank y'all for what you're doing, and I, I appreciate you. And we have the podcast awards, y'all. It's www.podcastawards.com. You put in the information, we're nominated in three categories. The first one is people's choice, the second one is society and culture, and the third one is drama and storytelling. If you feel so inclined, please go over there and give us your vote. And check out all our social media, three Facebook pages, including the one I was just telling you about, the Friends, Fans, and Crew, K-R-E-W-E. It's pushing 1,700 members this week, y'all. It's our private group, and it's awesome. Of course, we have a regular page, Real Life, Real Crime. And the page I was telling you about, Real Life, Real Crime, Friends, Fans, and Crew, K-R-E-W-E. And then finally... Our Real Life Real Crime Lanyap page, Lanyap meaning something bonus or extra, and you go there, and our fans interact, and we're doing a cookbook, and you just post whatever you want. If you make stuff, you you sell it, or hobbies, or whatever. I've done some really cool swap outs with some people, and just check it out, y'all. It, it's cool. And Instagram, Twitter, we're on it. Check us out. And YouTube, we're on our YouTube. is really growing, and So y'all check that out. You go to YouTube and type in the search box, Real Life Real Crime Podcast, and it'll pull us up in all the videos, et cetera. And it has all our episodes, but we're adding more videos and stuff like that. And that's it, man. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for listening. Next week, patron members, use your hotline number, call in your questions or your statements, your shout-outs, your bitches, your gripes, or your compliments. But my guest will be Jim, the hitman, Raffman, who is a true American hero. He is a, a decorated war veteran. And before he became an American hero that way, he was a hero as my partner in Detectives. And we're going to be doing a lot of episodes together. So y'all call in questions from me or Jim or the combination of both of us. And next week, it's, it'll really be a fun episode. I appreciate and love each and every one of you. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder by you. Peace. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights?